This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. That is our prayer, um, that the nations would be glad and rejoice in you. And so we pray that you would, would help us uh, to be oriented to you, that we would, would see your glory and that our hearts would be calibrated to you and, and calibrated to the needs of those around us. And so today as we talk about loving you, loving others. We pray that you would draw us close to you and we pray that your, your glory would extend to every people group on earth that from every tribe and tongue would ring out praises to the one who is worthy, Jesus. And we pray it in his name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to turn to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 12. And uh, we are um, in Jerusalem during Passion Week as we will be for the remainder of our study of Mark as we go through Easter. I wanna thank you all for praying for me this week. I was preaching Sunday night through Wednesday night in revival uh, down at a church near uh, Charleston. South Carolina, it's good to see Corey and Autumn Leggett who are both First Baptist products and to be with them and the people that they're serving at Mount Tabor Baptist Church there. And um, I think the Lord is gonna bring some lasting fruit from that revival. So thanks so much for your prayers uh, for that. And uh, I'll tell you, it was just great yesterday being with uh, 80, 80 or more guys that were up here for our men's breakfast yesterday. That was just so encouraging and wonderful just to see men and of various ages and fathers and sons and uh, guys just uh, interacting with one another and deepening friendships and making new friendships and gathering around God's word. And so that was just uh, greatly in, in encouraging. Well, let's, let's seek encouragement and refreshment right now through the Word of God. So we're in chapter 12 of Mark, and we're going to talk about the great commandment, which begins in verse 28. And I want to ask you to follow along with me in God's Word. The Bible says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's skip down to verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty 
has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is a scenario that I hope you'll never face. But imagine that your house or apartment caught on fire and it was apparent to you that everything that remained was going to be incinerated. And you only had seconds to get things out. What would be the priority? Well, hopefully people would be the priority, but, but assuming that all of the human beings are, are out and safe, what would be the priority? Pets, perhaps, precious family, heirlooms or mementos, perhaps. And certainly, if we could, we would want to get cash and clothes and computers or phones or iPads or passports or uh, jewelry, but, but remember, we only have seconds. We have to make choices. What, what would be the priority? That's kind of what Jesus is being asked here in, in this passage about the great commandment. When you look at all of the commandments of God, Jesus is being asked about the priority and he answers with the one that supersedes all of them because it binds all of them together. He answers with the word love. Let's look first of all this morning at the supremacy of love. And we begin here in verse 28. As one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Now we saw last week that Jesus has been in the temple in a, a series of exchanges with the religious leaders. And they were coming at him with their, their, their hardest serves, their thorniest theological questions in an attempt to entrap him. But we saw that Jesus answered so well that basically they were reduced to just slinking off in hatred. But at least one of them was listening. And he liked what he heard. And this man seems to have an open heart. He seems to be a person who is genuinely seeking truth. We see here in verse 28 that he is a scribe. So the scribes were theological scholars. They, they spent their time studying and, and analyzing the commandments of God. They had determined that there were 613 of them. 365 of them, they believed, were negative commands. So they had a no for every day of the year. I don't know if they planned it uh, quite that way, but that, that's how it worked out. 365 negative commands, 248 positive commands. And they would spend lots of time in conversation about which commands were heavy and which ones were light. So it was not surprising that this scribe would ask Jesus this question, which is the greatest command of all. What is surprising is the ease and the simplicity and the clarity with which Jesus answers this question. 
Let's look at his answer in verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus begins here in verse 29 with the Shema, which pious Jews, including Jesus, I'm sure, would repeat every morning and every evening. It came from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and, and verse 45, where the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So they would repeat this every morning, every evening. Everybody was familiar with that. Why was it called the Shema? Well, Shema means to hear. It begins with the word hear. Hear, O Israel. In other words, listen up. Before anything else, hear this. Life begins with loving God. The first priority in your life is to love God. That orients everything else in life. And without that orientation of loving and honoring God first, everything else in life goes awry. In Romans 1, when the Apostle Paul talks about all of the brokenness and all of the dysfunction of the world and in, and in human lives today, he traces it back to this. He says, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. In other words, all of the brokenness of the world, all the dysfunction that we see in the world and in human lives, it stems from the fact that, that people are not loving and honoring God first. And so the first thing we need to hear, Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Without it, everything else goes awry. In 1914, there was a congressional hearing that looked into a nautical tragedy. It was a tragedy that happened right off the shore of our own state. The uh, st uh, steamship uh, Monroe was rammed by uh, the uh, merchant, the, uh, the, the, the ship uh, Nantucket. And the captain of the Nantucket, a man named Osmond Berry, was arraigned on charges because he had rammed the other ship in the fog. But during cross-examination, the captain of the Monroe admitted that the compass that he had been using was just, just two degrees off. It's not unusual in the early 20th century to, for captains to navigate with a compass that was just, just off that much. But in this case, it resulted in the loss of 41 lives. God is our true north. And so when our hearts are not calibrated first to him, then everything else in life suffers the fallout from that. 
But the first reason that we should love him is not because we want to avoid pain and receive his blessing, although those are wonderful byproducts of him being first. The first reason that we should love God is simply because of who he is. Because he is our creator. Because apart from him, we don't exist. Every breath that we take is a gift from his hand. Because he gave us life. And if you are in Christ, he's given you new life. He's not only your creator, he's your redeemer. And he died for you. And he rose for you. He's your creator, he's your redeemer. And so we should love God first. Not because of what he gives us, but simply because of who he is. Imagine that you were in a a dating relationship and as part of getting to know the other person, you let them know that, that, that upon uh, marriage that, that you would receive a very significant trust fund. And they respond by saying, I don't care what you have. I don't care, care whether you have money or, or not, whether you're, you're rich or poor. I love you for who you are. And so you, you get engaged and, and, uh, and, and uh, later on you, you tell the person, you know, it looks like, it looks like, not going to receive the trust fund after all. And they call off the wedding. (laughs) What would be your reaction? I mean, the normal reaction would be, you didn't really love me. You were using me. Do you love God? Or are you using God? We're to love him simply for who he is. And and when we love him, Jesus says the, the, the result of that is, is going to be obedience. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what does God command us when it comes to our neighbor? Verse 31, Jesus says the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now Jesus, once again, is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Leviticus 19:18. So this was not new. This is in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is new, very new, is that Jesus is fusing these two commandments. And he is saying that you cannot separate loving God and loving other people. He is, he is saying that that love for God is expressed through love for other people and that we cannot claim to love God and not love our neighbor. The second new thing that Jesus is doing, and this is clear from other passages, is that he redefines who our neighbor is. Because to the average person in that culture, neighbors did not include wayward Jews, and neighbors certainly didn't include Gentiles and Samaritans. In fact, one day, Jesus was was teaching on this very subject, and one of the religious leaders asked him in a very snide way, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded to that question by telling 
one of his most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the real punch of that is that to the people that he was talking to, Good Samaritan was an oxymoron. Samaritans were their enemies. So Jesus tells a story about this man who's mugged and robbed and he's, he's, uh, he's beaten up and he's on the side of the road and you know these, uh, these religious upstanding people pass by on the other side of the road and here is this Samaritan that stops and has mercy and uh, binds up his wounds and takes him to an end and gives him money so that he can be cared for uh, and so forth. And then he concludes by saying, and, and who was the neighbor in this situation. Thomas Long uh, is a professor of, of preaching, and he, uh, he tells about something that happened when he was a, a child in, in South Carolina, and he was in his grandmother's uh, antebellum home in South Carolina, and, and one day as a little boy, he was looking up at the, the wall in his grandmother's home, and he saw all of these family photographs, and there, right in the middle, in, in a very prominent place of honor, was an old sepia-colored photo of a Civil War soldier. And it was a Union soldier in this Old South home, and even as a child, he, he was struck by that. And so he asked his, his grandmother who the soldier was. And she said, when you're old enough to understand, I'll tell you. Years later, she noticed Thomas gazing at this photo again. And his grandmother told him this story. She said that the Union soldier was a Union chaplain. And that in the immediate aftermath of the Battle of Williamsburg here in Virginia in May of 1862, that this this Union chaplain had rode out onto the battlefield to minister to any wounded that remained there. And he happened upon a terrified 19-year-old Confederate soldier in a ditch whose leg was almost completely severed and who was bleeding to death. And this Union chaplain picked him up and carried him to a Union field hospital where his leg was amputated, but his life was saved. And he continued to minister to him in, in the weeks and months that he recovered. And when he was able to travel, he gave him enough money to make it back to his family in South Carolina. And Thomas Long writes, that 19-year-old Confederate soldier became a minister himself and a teacher and a college president and most significant to me, my great-grandfather, William Moffat Greer. The Union chaplain was a man named Joseph Twitchell and the two men became lifelong friends. They corresponded for the rest of their lives. Two lives bound together by one humane act amid the ravages of war. You know, we, we live in a culture today where, where people are pitted against one another. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed some division 
in our culture. You know, and it is very, very true that, I mean, as Bible-believing Christians, we have, a, we have a different worldview. We have different values, just a whole different way of, of seeing the world than uh, many of the secular neighbors around us. But how are we to think as Christians of those who disagree with us? How are we to think of people who, who, who think very different from us as far as you know, values and, and politics and religion? How, how are we to think of those you know, who don't look like us or you know, speak our language? How, how should we think of them? Jesus says we should think of them as our neighbor. And he calls us to, to love them and to stand out from, from the surrounding culture where everyone's squaring off, we are to stand out in our love even for those who don't love us. That's what distinguishes our love. Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 46 and 47, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So Jesus calls us in our love to a higher standard. He calls us to a distinctive love, a love that surpasses the love of the world a love that models the love of Jesus who loved us when we were still his enemies. And so he calls us to the supremacy of love. Second, he calls us to the sacrifice of love. Verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is a picture of the, the, the coins like the ones that the widow put into the offering box that day. They're commonly referred to as widow's mites. The basic unit of money was a denarius, so a widow's mite was worth about 164th of a denarius. It was the, the, the least valuable coin of its day. And yet Jesus says that she put in more, more than all the others. Why? Because she sacrificed everything that she had. New Testament scholar James Edwards in, in commenting on this says, others gave what they could spare, but the poor widow spared nothing. That is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it not? 
In fact, the, the phrase here that, uh, that she, she put in all she had to live on in verse 44 uh, could be tr- sort of paraphrased, she laid down her whole life. And as we continue moving through Mark in the next few weeks, what we're going to see is that that is exactly what Jesus is going to do for all of us on a hill called Golgotha, just a few days from the day he speaks these words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. We pray that you would make us a people that love you so much that we would sacrifice for your cause. That you would make us a people who who show the supremacy of your love. Indeed, that our love would stand out, that it would shine, that it would be distinctive in our culture. And that people would know that we are Christians by our love. And that we would know that you are real and that you really did give your son by our love. As we just continue to to bow in prayer before the Lord, we sung it earlier. He really does love you. Have you responded to the Savior's love in repentance and in faith? Have you turned from living life your own way and turned to the Savior and placed your trust in what he did for you on an old rugged cross? and an empty tomb as he rose from the dead. He reigns today as king. He invites you to to know him as king. Come to him today, turn to Jesus. His heart is open to you. We'd love to talk with you about that. Gonna be here at the front in just a moment as we stand and sing. If you're giving your life to Christ, we, we wanna come alongside. And that can begin today. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family as we join together to to love God and to love others, then we wanna welcome you and we invite you to come. So Father, speak to us now during this time of invitation. May you have your glory in each and every life. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, 
God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.